Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks so much for joining me. As always, really appreciate it. This week's a little different. I'm speaking with Dewey Reynolds. And we're going to, of course, talk about his life, but we're going to spend most of the time talking about his parents' life. He wrote a book about them, a lot of things to unpack there. They were a couple in the 60s in Kansas City, lived a a very interesting life, a life of crime, a lot of different things there um, between just how uh, how they linked up, the crimes that they committed, and then also the... I guess an, an extra layer to it is they were um, a, a white male and a, and a black female, an interracial couple, uh, in a time uh, where that was, that, was not, uh, that was not accepted. It was actually illegal in Missouri. Um, so just a, a lot of things to unpack, a lot of uh, really interesting things. Dewey is a, a great person to kind of share that scene. We talk about just the life that they led. What uh, what happened with him? Of course, he was born kind of right in the middle of all of it. Um, I'll let uh, I'll let him just kind of describe that. But he was uh, he was put into the foster care system. Um, his life afterwards, and um, you know, kind of aging through the foster care system, and then meeting and uh, having a relationship with his mother after that. It was it was a fascinating conversation. Um, it's uh, it was different this week. One because you know we're we're talking about his parents and not. Uh, I don't have the guest on just to talk about themselves. Um, and then also, I guess it was interesting because we're kind of telling the story of, uh, of of people. I've done that a few times rather than just a straight interview. We kind of cover the book and tell a little bit of a a story of uh, of Dewey Reynolds' parents and the uh, the life of crime that they led. Uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this, and a um, lot of layers to it, like I already said. But overall, it's just a really interesting, fascinating story. So, without further ado, here is Dewey Reynolds. I'm here today with Dewey Reynolds. Mr. Reynolds, how are you? I'm good, sir. How are you? I'm good. We've got a, a very interesting topic to cover. But before we kind of get, we jump, I guess, back into the '60s. Introduce yourself, uh, if you would. Uh, my name is Dewey B. Reynolds. Um, I am a resident of my hometown, Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, I'm a 25-year employee with the Internal Revenue Service. Uh, My hobbies include traveling, roller skating, reading, writing, uh, being adventurous, and just exploring life. I like that, and I think that's an interesting connection with with the roller skating. I am not a roller skater at all. But actually, my wife, why we are, are filming this, is actually at a roller skating rink. She's gotten back into roller skating. So how uh, you got any tips for her? This is her third week back at it since she, she was a kid. Well, I've been skating pretty much all my life. I'll be 58 in another week. Um, uh-huh. So I would say try not to fall on the floor and let a pile <laughs> of people fall upon you. So. I think if that's you're going to fall, idea. make sure you, you fall in, a, in an isolated area on the floor and not with a bunch of people falling on top of you. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I think you're probably one of those people she talked about last week because I was like, how did things go? I always asked, did you fall? And she said, there are people there that are a little older than I am that clearly c- 
come every week that they are skating backwards. They're dancing. Like she said, I want to get to that level that Dewey's at that level, isn't he? Oh yeah, definitely. I'm <laughs> as, as an older guy, I'm, I'm still able to uh, keep up with the youngsters out at the skating rink. I love it. I love it. Well, let's kind of get to, to the, the topic that we, we are here to talk about. Believe it or not, it's not roller skating. It's about a, uh, a book that you wrote and a couple that you wrote a book about that I think were involved in some, uh, some, I guess some, some nefarious things. So let's, let's start with, how did you know this couple? Well, the couple was my parents and, Mm -hmm. um, they were an interracial couple from the 1960s at a time of serious, uh, social unrest. You know, there was a lot of upheaval and of course, you know, by then that time period, the, the civil rights movement was pretty much, was kicked in the high gear and um they actually were criminals together they they lived a criminal life together and having been put in foster care at six months and then after i was emancipated out the system i I went into the uh division of family service and i received some records about my stay in the foster home and those records had mentioned that my mother and father were both hardened criminals and it, it briefly explained their um some of the crimes that they 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 you know had committed, so I decided to uh, research even further and go to the Kansas City Police Department headquarters in downtown Kansas City, and start researching more into their criminal background. And what I came up with was just truly astounding. I mean, I just cannot believe that as a white man and a black woman as an interracial couple during that time period, some of the things that they were doing together. Yeah, and and it, it was going to be a question later, but I think that you you kind of touched on. I wondered where you were in all this. So you were in the foster care system. What happened with you during this entire time? You said you were emancipated. Did you spend your, your childhood in the foster care system for the entirety of it? Or Yes, I did. Um, my parents actually abandoned me when I was six months old. Mm. And while they had this body house, which was a good time house, which was like drugs and prostitution and liquor and gambling and contraband cigarettes you name it i was the baby in this house so because of the fact i was in the midst of all this uh, i guess they felt like my 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 safety was pretty much at jeopardy so they had dropped me off at someone's house that they they really didn't really know too well and they just never did come back and so i would find out years later how and why i ended up in the system Hmm. so tell Hmm. us just a little bit more about your parents, I guess exactly what they were involved in. We've got a, a little bit of a taste, but talk a little bit about exactly what, uh, you know, what criminal acts they were, they were doing there in Kansas city. Okay. Well, of course my mother worked the streets and she was out there hustling and everything. My father was out there doing the same. And it's, it's really, really strange how they met up because he was actually, uh, he was a pimp. He was a procurer as they, as they say in law enforcement terms. And uh, he saw her out there. So she got arrested for soliciting and he went and bailed her out of jail. And he had already had a house that he had been operating for, you know, prostitution, he had girls working for him, uh, drugs, cigarettes, liquor. And of course he was involved with some of you know the Italian gangsters there in Kansas City with, with vice and everything. So he wanted her to help him run that house. So he put her in charge of the girl. So she like became the madam of like four or five of the girls that were out on the streets for him. So they pretty much became a pretty good team in a life of crime. So that's how they really came together 
and was able to embark upon this 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 journey as far as being an interracial couple involved in, in, in criminal activities together. And they were, like I said, they were involved in drug trafficking, prostitution, bootleg whiskey, uh, hijacking, petty larceny, robbery. I mean, you, you name it, they was pretty much involved in a little bit of everything. Mm. So what, I mean, you said that he saw her in the streets and then she was, she was arrested. He bowed her out and then he kind of put her in charge of, of all of these different, I guess, things that he was doing. What, I mean, did they have a relationship before that? What, what did he see in her that he, he decided that she was going to, going to be who he gravitated towards? Well, he knew she had skills as a hustler and uh, she knew the streets and he knew the streets and they knew that coming together in vice, they could really make some money and which they did. They never became rich, of course, but they made some pretty, I guess you can say pretty good money in vice. And, um, but as far as like the prostitution racket, uh, he knew that he could, cause she knew the streets and everything. She was out there. So he knew that the girls that worked for her, worked for him rather, my mother could groom them. And then the tricks who, who would come to the house, you know, you know, collect the money, go upstairs, make sure that everybody behaved themselves. There wasn't, you know, no ruckus going on and everything. So as far as the, the, the prostitution end, with him having four or five girls on the street for him, she he knew that she could definitely handle that end. But as far as the, the drugs, the, the, the bootleg whiskey, uh, the stolen fence goods, the hijacked goods, him and, a, him and a good friend of his pretty much controlled that end of it. Gotcha. We're talking, we're already talking so much about these people. I don't think, uh, what, what are their names? We didn't even say their names. Okay. My father's uh, full name was Gordon McCoy Reynolds. My mother's full name was Alame Reynolds. And that that's who they were. That's who they, their names were. Gotcha. I gotcha. Mm -hmm. And talk to us a little bit about Kansas City at that time. Um, I know that, I mean, Kansas City has been known in the past for, for lots of different things of, of uh, I guess there, there's, there's definitely some criminal history there for way, way back and, and even definitely kind of active in the sixties. So talk about, uh, talk about Kansas City, if you would. Wow. Um, first of all, Kansas City has a very rich history of organized crime of the mafia mm -hmm. dating all the way back to, oh, I want to say the very early 1900s. And um, of course, they were very much, I guess you can say, in alignment or had a very, I guess you can say, close relationship with the Chicago mob. Because those cities were definitely there in the Midwest. But um, during the 1960s, when my mother and father were involved in, in crime together, vice was definitely at an all time high. I mean, you know, you had, um, you know, you had like prostitution, you had drug trafficking, you had, um, wow, I guess you could say you had just murders, strong arm robbery, burglary and larceny. And a lot of that was centered around organized crime. And my mother and, and father, you can say, was at, at, at the, uh, I guess you could say at the center centerpiece of all that. And um, when you when you when you research Kansas City history, especially during that time, uh, there was a lot of vice out on the street. Uh, there was a lot of things going on, and a lot of crime was at an all time high. And from the, from the uh, research that I did, I was amazed just to find out how so much, so many individuals, whether no matter no matter what type of ethnic groups they came from. Black, Italian, Jewish, you know, Irish, you name it, were, in, were 
pretty much got their little stronghold or whatever, got their little piece of the action, as we would say. And um, I mean, it's just it's just so much. And then, you know, of course, you know, the Kansas City mob eventually got involved with, with the casinos out in Las Vegas. But there's a rich history of, of organized crime that, that started in the, in the very early 1900s during the Al Capone, even during the Al Capone era, all the way up until, I don't know about today, because things are different now. I would say all the way up at least until like the early 80s. So did did they both come to Kansas City from other places or were they from there? I just wonder if, if they came there because of the crime or they were kind of brought up into that uh, that world. Well, they they both were natives of Kansas City. They both were born here in Kansas City. My mother was born in 1931. My father was born in 1905. They were like 26 years apart. And um, I guess at an early age, they both gravitated to the streets. And uh, they felt like, because I don't believe neither one of them really worked a legitimate job a day in their life. So vice or crime was pretty much, you know, their way of making a living, you know, of supporting themselves and everything. So, yeah, they um, they pretty much, you know, like I said, I mentioned to you earlier, they knew the streets. They knew what was going out there. They knew how to deal with other criminals and everything. So they felt as though there was a lot of money to be made in Vice. And that's why they came. They gravitated towards each other because they felt as though if they put their heads together. Hey, we can do some things with, 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 all, with all the money that is to be made in Vice. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. I want to kind of just... I never want to assume anybody knows things. It see, it seems pretty easy, but we're saying the word vice a lot. That is in your book too. That's yeah. vice is really just simply kind of another word for doing things you shouldn't be doing, crime, that type of thing. Correct. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. So tell us too that because there's another layer that we've already touched on, and that is that they were an interracial couple in yeah. a time that it, that mattered quite a bit. So talk about how they uh, how they navigated that. Wow, that was a tough one because before my my mother died in 1999, but before she died, um, I would ask questions. You know, I got to know, I got to meet her and I got to know her and uh, we kind of like forged a relationship with each other. But she would tell me how, I guess you could say they live what is called dangerously on the edge. And, you know, they were like racist cops. They've even had, she even told me they had a run in with uh, a chapter of the Ku Klux Klan that was on the outskirts of Kansas City. And they were constantly getting death threats. And uh, actually, their union, them being involved with with each other, was actually on the books as considered to be illegal under the anti miscegenation laws. And um, Missouri was one of the states that outlawed, you know, the cohabitation or the sexual relations of interracial couples. But they pretty much knew the odds that they were going to be against even before they came together. But once they came together, they ran into major problems and they pretty much were taking their lives into their own hands being involved because not only did they have to deal with the, with the legal system, but they also had to deal with the criminal element out on the streets, too, as far as like disapproving of their inner because they were actually involved as a couple as far as relationship wise far as like intimacy or sex or just being in love or whatever, but also they, they also were involved as far as being criminals together too on, in that facet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, you said that you, you met your, your mother at some point. I just wonder what, what that was like, what that kind of relationship was like. And then also how long did this, you know, this 
life of crime last was there a time you know once you met her that that was in in the rear view or was that something that was that was still kind of happening up until 1999 when she passed oh yeah well up until the time she died at the age of 68 but she had she had i guess you could say retired from the streets both of them did because you can only do that for so long you can't re- retire like a job and get a pension you know or whatever <laughs> but 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 the bottom line is um i guess you know it ran its course and um from what from what she told me what really ended their their little crime spree together as far as like running the body house of like again the prostitution the drugs you know the bootleg whiskey and etc the gambling was the fact that vice had kicked in on them and shut them down and they had avoided the law you know they had you know i guess you could say skipped around or danced around the law for so long but we all know that nothing lasts forever so major vice had kicked in because they had been investigating them as well as investigating other people in vice throughout the city and they pretty much shut them down and they ended up actually doing jail time for that so once they got out of jail like they knew that was it there was no more of that so now we're using the word vice kind of like in the miami vice world we're talking about the 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 law the police right Mm -hmm. right right so how long did they uh did they spend in in jail I want to say, I think, I believe my mother told me a little over two years. Yeah, they both were, you know, convicted together. He ended up doing time somewhere near, I would say, St. Joseph, Missouri. She ended up doing time in a a woman's prison in Chillicothe, Missouri. Yeah. And when they got out, they came back together and, you know, started their life together. Not in crime, but as far as relationship-wise. Yeah. And, you know, they were involved in so many different things. What people finally get arrested for is always kind of an interesting, interesting thing. What what is it that they actually got locked up for? Well, it, it was it was like a, a series of crimes, you know, like mm. like when they kicked in. Vice had finally what well, they've been watching them, but they didn't know they were being watched. But when when the major vice squad kicked in on them in their body house, their good time house, however you would classify it. um. They found the drugs. They found the bootleg whiskey. They found the contraband cigarettes. The prostit- There were like maybe a couple of their prostitutes upstairs with the tricks. And uh, of course, they also found illegal firearms in the house. So they had enough on them to really, you know, give them some serious. But I guess maybe they was able to, you know, whoever their lawyers were, were able to talk, talk the judge down or talk the prosecutors down. But when they kicked into the home, they found everything, and, th- and then they knew that was the beginning of the end right there. Yeah, and yeah. what, uh, I guess, what year was this? Could they have gotten in trouble for that interracial relationship, or was this after loving, or when was this? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. they uh, they had been warned. I think I think my mother was telling me they had been given, instead of just outright arresting them and taking them to jail for, you know, being involved as an interracial couple under the anti-misogynation laws, they were given warnings, but they just didn't take heed to it. But when they were arrested for their bisexuality, I think them being arrested had nothing to do with, you know, them committing the crime of, you know, of being an interracial couple under that law. But, um, of course, you know, they had been told, you know, uh, you can go to jail for a long time. You might, might not even see the outside again. But they were just like, OK, we're still going to they were just determined to keep doing what they were doing. But. 
I remember, I remember an incident where my mother told me that there was a white police officer that came to came to their 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 little good time body house while all the vice was going on it, and said that he walks in the house and he looks at my mother and then he points across the room and says to her, "Is that your white pimp over there?" So I was like, "Wow, that's pretty interesting." Hmm. Yeah, and I you know you talked about Kansas City definitely during that time being very uh you know active with with different mob type things uh, and then all the different pockets so were were your parents because obviously the mob i mean they kind of have their fingers in a lot of things and they don't really like a lot of competition so were they were they kind of doing their own thing just under the radar not enough to get caught up in that or were they involved in any of the the mob activity yes well my father he his heritage was irish he was an irishman um he had actually, from what I understand, and then there, there's some of them, them, them gangsters are mentioned in police reports. Because, see, when I was doing my research, uh, the police department gave me like, oh, God, like many pages of police reports and then his criminal rap sheet. And I'm seeing these Italian names and a couple of them sound very familiar. So he had a good relationship with those guys. But here's the deal, though, as with Kansas City, Chicago, Detroit, New York, Cleveland, you name it. If you were involved in vice, you had to kick back part of your vice proceeds to the mob. And if you didn't, you were either intimidated, beaten or killed. So, you know, if you were out there making money in vice, uh, you were well advised to give them a piece of your action. So my father knew that and which he did. He he paid tribute to those guys, you know, through his his money he made through vice and everything, because he knew that's how it was. And other other people knew too that the Italians, as far as organized crime and the mafia and vice and all that, they knew that the Italians were the king of the hill. So if you were you were going to be involved in vice, if they didn't come to you directly and told you, someone out on the streets told you, yeah, those Italians are going to want part of your your vice money. So you had to pay those guys. I gotcha. I gotcha. Mm-hmm. So so after they uh, they both got out of out of prison. Um, they got back together. The life of crime was over with, uh, but they kind of built a life together. Were they together until your, your father's passing? You said your mother's passing. I assume he passed before. Uh, yeah. 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 He passed in 1978. I believe I was 13 years old. And uh, they, they had, like I said, come, and they even went on to get married, you know, and of course I'm at all the while I'm still in foster care, but um, of course he had died. I met him about a month before he died for the first and only time. And then of course she, she would die like, you know, 21 years later, 1999. But uh, they had pretty much, you know, decided to stay together all that time. You know, when, um, you know, long after they put me in foster care and long after they had left their life of crime behind after they, you know, they had ran his course and everything. Gotcha. And how much, you know, obviously, you know, a ton now you even wrote a book, but during all this time, as a kid, did you know anything about any of this or was it a, a complete shock once uh, once you started mm-hmm. researching it? I've been I've been told stories. And uh, of course, my foster mother and and I had my mother had a younger sister that I would visit from time to time. She would tell me stories, too, about who they were and what they were involved in. Why? You know, because I'd always wondered, why did I end up in the system? Why did I end up in and they told me, well, your, 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 your mother and father, your mom and dad were both hardened criminals. They were out there in the streets. They were living a very dangerous lifestyle. While you were a baby, you were actually in that house while that vice was going on. Mm-hmm. So in, in order to like, 
you know, I guess not put you in harm's way. They had to take you somewhere and, you know, and, and let as far as like take you somewhere to safety, you know, where you would be safer. And I I didn't understand it at first, but I would later go on as I matured to understand that. So what do you think, you know, as far as hearing about that, growing up in, in a, a very non-conventional way, how, I mean, how do you think that's shaped where, where you're at now as, as a person in, the, in your 50s? Well, uh, I just knew I never wanted to take the same path that my mother and father took. And uh, I felt like there was a better life for me out there. And uh, But I also understood that these were two people who just were determined not to work a nine to five and live, you know, within the, you know, the, the conventionalities of, of, of everyday American life and live by their own rules. And uh, as far as like me growing up and, 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 and understanding who they were and what they did, I just came to, to the resolve that that was just a life that, that wasn't for me. That's just something I did not want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it does sound like you had at least a little bit of relationship with, with your mother. Um, I mean, what, what was that like? Was there any kind of resentment for what, what happened with all that? Or was it just you trying to get an understanding and, and make what you could of it or or what'd that look like? Well, I would say for, I went through my period of bitterness and resentment and, but I think as time went on, um, I decided not to really like let it get the best of me and they did what they did. There's nothing I can do, nothing that I can do to go back and change that. So, but, but once I got to know her better and, and understood like, you know, who she was and where she came from and why she did what she did and everything, it really, it really just let me know that she was her own person, not to excuse what her and my father did and the kind of life that they led but at the same time, I learned a lot from her. I learned she was a very wise lady. She may have been involved as a hardened criminal all those years, but she was very wise. She had a lot of wisdom and she had a lot of uh, knowledge and, and she knew the streets and she would pass on some of that wisdom to me. And I said, wow, that's something that I can learn from. And maybe I can go on and live a much better productive life. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. I've talked to a lot of people in the in the law enforcement side of things and a lot of people have said just that, that a lot of criminals and some of the best ones, mm-hmm. it's not easy being a criminal. It's pretty hard. It takes somebody that's really smart. And if, if people were to, were to take that, take that knowledge and use it for good, then, I mean, they could change the world. So I don't, it doesn't surprise me at all that she was a, a wise person. Yeah, absolutely. She gained a wealth of uh, knowledge and wisdom out there in those streets and her relations with some of the most hardened people you can imagine, some of the most criminally insane people. But, but like, like I mentioned to you earlier, my friend, you know, um, they they lived a very dangerous lifestyle. They lived on the edge. And it, it's amazing. I, and when I look back and having researched their background and her giving me her own version of, of what happened while they were out there and the whole time they were together doing what they were doing, it's amazing that they survived that. Yeah. It is. Because they were in the midst of a lot of dangerous situations. Yeah, I, I, it, it is amazing for for a lot of different reasons. I mean, it, it, it's hard when it comes to living that that type of of lifestyle and crime to to make it out, and then of course having that extra layer of having people against you just for being who you they were as a couple. I, I think that it 
it took some smarts to to navigate that for sure. It did. It definitely did. Yes, yeah. sir. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about how you uh, you know you came to to write the book. But mm-hmm. have we have we covered your your parents? You, you think in, in a in a good light? Is there anything else you want to add about them? I believe, as far as both of them being concerned, I believe they deep down they were good people. They. They, they may have done bad things, but they weren't bad people, hmm. you know, and um, I believe that there was there was like periods Now they they did not need neither one of them told me, this, but I just believe there were probably periods where they wanted to get out of that life and, and walk straight and narrow. But um, but I, I believe that life just kept calling their name because, like I said, you feel as though, OK, we can venture off into this type of vice activity and venture off into this and we can make more money. We can keep doing it. And I guess it was that adrenaline rush, but at the same time, um, they, I think they both came, came to, to, to the uh, realization, like this can't last forever. Eventually it's going to come to an end. And then when, when you look around you and you out there living that dangerous lifestyle and you looking at how so many of them end up in jail for the rest of their life or end up getting killed, like, okay, if we don't cut this out, we're going to go down that same path. We're going to end up dead or we're going to end up in, in prison for the rest of our lives. I hear that for sure. And I don't really know, you know, everything about your parents, of course. Um, but, you know, you said that they were good people that were doing bad things, which I certainly understand that. Were they involved in anything that was actually, I guess, you know, physically harming other people? I mean, we, we talked about prostitution. We talked about drugs and of course that uh you know that's that's something in itself but were they i mean did they do anything as far as assault or, or murdering anybody well you know that's a good question that's a very good question now on my father's behalf when i looked at his when i looked at those police reports of course i found some on both of them my mother and father and them things together but especially when i look at his criminal rap sheet which he had like 58 criminal convictions spanning for like over almost 30 years he spent a lot of time in in the prison system but one of one i mean like say for instance like one of his crimes was like strong arm robbery one of them was like assault and battery another one was suspicion of murder another one was drug trafficking another one was uh compulsory prostitution another one was uh uh coercion or something uh petty larceny list went on and on if i was to take I never heard it from my mother. Definitely didn't hear it from him. But if I was to take a stab at it, I do believe there's a chance he was involved in a murder or two mm. because of who he was and the life he led. Because before he joined up with my mother, he had his own criminal life, mm. things that he was doing before they came together. And um, he was definitely involved with some serious stuff with, 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 with some of the Italian gangsters. Because I get a good example, hijacking. <laughs> Hijacking trucks was a big thing, especially during that time period in the 50s and 60s. Like, for instance, like they would get tipped off about uh, commercial trucks coming into town, carrying whiskey and cigarettes and beer and frozen meats. So they would assemble a team and they found out they would find out the route that the truck was going to, to to drop off those those commodities and they would hijack the truck. That's how he got a lot of those commodities in his in his, in his uh, criminal body house and everything through hijack. And he was doing some hijacking work for some of the some of the gang, the Italian gangsters in Kansas City. So how do you think, because even though you didn't grow up, you know, 
directly involved with them. There's still mm-hmm. plenty of instances that it, it it continues on. So how do you think that you you broke that cycle? Well, like I said, I uh, when I, when I looked at the life that they led and who they were as people and everything, I just came to the resolve that there has to be something better out there, you know, and uh, I would not want to follow in their footsteps. I mean, like I said, one, one, one uh, black sheep in the family is enough. And uh, so therefore having grown up in the system and, and, and eventually learning about their lifestyle and who they were and what they did and knowing that that, that that's not, not the way to go. I mean, because there's got to be something better out there. I mean, as far as like trying to get a good education, trying to be productive in life, you know, trying to, you know, treat people the way I want to be treated. So therefore I did everything I, I did to try to not be the people that they were. I and I worked hard at that. And, then, and I think it kind of paid off to some degree. <laughs> I think so too. And I mean, we're kind of leaving you emancipated. The, you know, the great thing about, well, I mean, the bad thing about obviously growing up that way is you don't, have you know a ready-made family but the great thing is you get to pick your own own family and your own support system so talk about i guess the support system and the the family that you that you've picked and that you've been able to build i don't want to just leave you at 18 off on your own i'm sure you've had a a lot of experience outside of uh just the irs over these years oh yeah um because i'm i've never been married no children but um but as far as like support, oh yeah, I've, I mean I've got support from friends and mm-hmm. and acquaintances and associates and coworkers and church members and and such. And uh, I mean I've been fortunate to be surrounded by some very encouraging people that you know that pretty much that that will you know cheer you on and tell you know you know there's a lot more with your life that you can do. And uh, of course they were they were some of the same people that encouraged me to write this book. Because a very good friend of mine is the one that encouraged me to write Two Shades of Ice, my book about my parents and everything. And and, and he said, yeah, that's a great story. He said, you're sitting on a really great story because the story within itself is very unique because we, we didn't, I, I'm, I'm going to speak for myself and maybe, you know, other people, that I can't speak for everybody, but I don't think there's been too many stories ever told about an interracial couple during the 1960s that were heavily in, involved in vice, vice together, led a life of crime together. So it was very unique. And a, and a good friend of mine encouraged me to really buckle down and write the book. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to talk about the the book for sure. Um, so, you know, you said a good friend kind of encouraged you and maybe that's kind of what gave you the push that you needed. But I guess what, how did, how did that come about? I mean, people can, push all day for people to write something but it takes you actually you know starting to type or putting pen to paper so what would what that process look like well um what i did for i would say several years several years being three four maybe five years you know consistently i've been gathering material on them like you know uh police reports you know criminal rap sheets and you know information my mother had given me about them together and having sat down and read through the narratives through the police reports and then just really looking at both of their, their rap sheets and everything and then getting in touch. Because see, what's crazy, I'll tell you what's real, this, this is going to sound crazy, but my father did time in prison in five different states, which included California, Arizona, Missouri, Texas, and Illinois. Hmm. And um, 
So I reached out to some of those police departments in Arizona, one police department in Arizona, one in Texarkana, Texas. For example, um, he had done, oh man, we're talking five or six years. I don't know how, in 1944, he had went down to Dallas, Texas and stole a lot of gas ration coupons, which, which was issued by the government during the war. And he, of course, he got busted with a friend of his. And uh, that was one of the crimes he committed that was mentioned on his, his rap sheet. So I reached out to the Dallas Police Department. They sent me the full report about what happened before he was arrested for that crime. Of course, he did time in the federal penitentiary in Texarkana, Texas for that. But it explained the names of the people involved, you know, the locations and all that. And and then even in, in California and then in, in Illinois, too. So. So I had a lot of material to work with to write the book. Plus, I had I had um, the, poli- the Kansas City Police Headquarters had given me their police mug shots. And when they, matter of fact, when I was telling you about how Vice had kicked in on them, there's a police uh, photo of them standing right next to each other. They had been taken. Then individual uh, police mug shots of them holding up the numbers and all that. So, so I had a wealth of information to really sit down and really write a full length true crime book about their life together. Mm. So how how common knowledge was this in in your circle and in, in your friend group? Because I uh, I just think it would be interesting if you had written this book and everybody's like, whoa! I had no idea the past that you know you you have your parents had. Was this something that people already knew about, or was this a a shocker for a lot of people that that knows Dewey? Oh, it was it was definitely a shocker because of the fact that. Um, a lot of them never knew I was I was in foster care for you know for the most almost my whole young life you know coming up as a a child on to my teen years until like I, said, I was emancipated out the system and but it was really a shocker to them like I said the big the big shocker was okay we talking because I was born in 1964 they met in 1958 59 or whatever then they you know because I was born in 64 but to know that an interracial couple had come together during that time period to be heavily, I do mean heavily involved in vice and in, in, in a lot of criminal activities together and everything. A lot of people was like, whoa, wow. Like, like I mentioned earlier, I've never heard of a story like that. That's kind of extremely unconventional because, you know, back then I, I would hear people say, well, you know, back then, uh, shoot, if you was an interracial couple, man, you they probably found both of y'all dead somewhere, you know. They didn't play that back then, which is true. You know, it was it was very taboo and it was just a definite no-no. So a lot of people were, they were like up and like on oh, like my God, I've never heard a story like that. So the shocker, the shocker was there. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. I'm sure of that. And I kind of looked at some of the reviews on Amazon, and the thing that I want to kind of understand with it, how did how did you tell the the story? Is it you know, biographical, factual type thing? Is it kind of more of a, you know, a, a true story that you've kind of written a novel and had to fill in some blanks? Because that's yeah. what somebody said, something about like it was based on a true story. So I'm, I assume, you, you know, obviously you don't know every conversation that happened. So you have to take a little bit of liberties. But where, what, how, how exactly did you approach that? I'm glad you asked that question. Um, between... Like I said, really studying the police reports, studying the rap sheets, going on information for what my mother told me, 
even going on information from what her younger sister told me, where she was not involved in that life, but she knew some things. And even after my mother died, you know, she would tell me stories and everything. And then I actually heard stories from a couple people out on the streets that there were, you know, pretty much around their age group, you know, that was around during that time that knew about who knew them personally, too. So you mentioned filling in the gaps. Um, yeah, it's, it's like I said, like I mentioned on, on the cover of the book is it's based on a true story, which most of the information that you will see in the book or read in the book is definitely based on factual information. But I will say there is that element of embellishment. There's some embellishment going on. So when you bring all that together, it it, it really basically comes together and tells a really great story. And there are some things that's not so much 100% factual, but it all ties in together. There's that uniformity that brings the entire story together. Gotcha. I gotcha. Mm -hmm. What, you know, in saying all that, what do you hope people, I guess, take away after they, they finish that last, that last page? What do you hope people take away from it all? I think they, what, what I believe what they'll take away from it is two individuals who dared to defy the odds, even though they were both criminals. And eventually it, it turned into almost like a love story at the end because they found out that they had more in common than just being criminals together and trying to make money in that criminal life together and everything. And that truly that if two people love each other, they will find a way to work around, you know, all the, the, uh, the things that are thrown at them, all the, the bad the things that people have to say or the people that try to come together and break them up and, and this, this, disband what they, they tried to do and everything. But I do believe that people will, will learn that even though, you know, some people may start out in a bad situation, it can turn into something good. And that's 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 what I think they'll learn all the way up to the last phase, that these are two people who learn that we have to leave this life behind. We got to try to become legitimate and there's something better out there for us and we can reinvent ourselves and we can reinvent our lives and we can do something more productive in society. I got you. I think that's an, mm -hmm. an important lesson for sure. So yeah. do, do you feel like you know you had one one story in you and you've told what you need to tell did you get the writing bug and want to write more or where are we at with uh with you as an author oh yeah i, I felt the need to um well actually i have started another story I'm, I'm i'm working on it slowly but surely about my life in foster care you know about mm. you know what my life was like you know after you know because the story ends where my mother was actually pregnant with me mm. and um how the story branches out from there and talks about, you know, me trying to find them, me trying to understand why I ended up in foster care and what what landed me there, and what you know life was like day to day in in, the, in this in this foster home that I that I did live in. I think that'd be an an interesting story. You have to you have to let me know when when that one comes out. We can we can talk about that one. But I want to uh, I, I want to I guess kind of end things on. How can people pick up this book? How can people connect with Dewey as a whole? Well, uh, the book is available. Um, it's available on Amazon.com. It's in ebook form. It's in uh, a soft cover form and everything. Uh, but I also want to mention that uh, Kirkus Reviews said 
that the author, who is myself, you know, skillfully captures the characters, which I believe I did. And, you know, um, you know, there are things mentioned in the book uh, that I could never really come straight out and talk about as I'm doing this interview with you, as mm -hmm. far as the sex and the violence and the language and all that. But I strongly, I strongly recommend that people read the book to kind of like, as we would say, get some teeth into your bite. And that way you won't be missing not one iota of the entire story because it's a very powerful story. But yes, the book is available at Amazon.com and just go there and look for Two Shades of Vice based on the true story of an interracial couple's life together in crime. And of course, it was written by me, the author, Dewey B. Reynolds. I got you. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, Dewey. I really appreciate your time. Well, I appreciate you having me. I really do. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So that was Dewey Reynolds. Enjoyed speaking with him immensely. Learned a ton about him. Of course, a ton about his parents. It's a fascinating story. That's that's for sure. Just I couldn't imagine one living living the life that they led. Two dealing with the um, issues that they they dealt with in an in an interracial couple. You know, I I myself am, am in one of those. Uh, you know, I'm married to, to someone of, of Asian descent. So I just, I couldn't imagine being, um, I guess, persecuted because of, uh, just because of who you, who you loved. So I, of course they did a lot of things wrong, but I, I, that was not one of them. Uh, but, uh, in their time, that was something they had to navigate. So I, uh, I enjoyed speaking with Dewey. Um, you know, we talked a ton about them, but, uh, of course, Dewey's an amazing guy and just the that we could have unpacked so much more just the things that he he's overcame you know growing up in the foster care system turning into the the great person that he has um writing this book i, I i'm i'm i am uh, i'm in an awe of, of dewey as well so i hope you enjoyed it if you want to hear more about uh about his parents story of course pick up the book he uh covered the highlights it goes into way more detail on their crimes on them on the situation so uh, if you're interested in hearing more definitely pick up that book i urge you to do that the link for that will be in the show notes dewey's contact will be in the show notes uh if uh, if this is your first time listening urge you to check out other episodes a lot of great guests a lot of great ones coming up uh, if uh, if you've listened before whether it's once or a hundred episodes and you haven't already please go give five stars on apple give five stars on spotify i appreciate that if you go into apple and you leave a written review even more amazing uh, great guests coming up next week as well take it away chris this has been not in a huff with jackson huff thank you for listening be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.